don't know, whatever you think. Well, good morning, church. Thank you all for joining us. It's uh, such a special time of year, and uh, Christmas time. We're, we're uh, wrapping up our... Nope, start again. I know, I know. Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you all today. Uh, we're continuing on with our sermon series called The Wonders of Christmas. Um, today, I... Gosh... Yeah. Good morning, church. Great to be with you all today. Thank you for joining us online. Um, let me ask you a Christmas question as we get started here. How many of you have started your Christmas shopping? How many of you finished your Christmas shopping? We don't even want to talk to you all, but how many of you have started your Christmas shopping? I would say to you that we are running out of time. Notice I said we because I'm in the boat with you. But one of the things I probably dislike the most about Christmas shopping are those long lines. I'm sure none of us like long lines, but several years ago, my wife Cheryl tells about a time when her and her uh, mother, Jean, uh, went to Walmart on a Black Friday sale to buy a pair of uh, headphones. They were these Beats headphones that my son Austin wanted, and they waited in line for three hours at Walmart just to get a set of these headphones. So at about 11 p.m., the Walmart helper finally comes out and starts passing out these headphones to the people in the line. And they only had five pair of headphones. After that, everyone else got a coupon. Cheryl's thinking to herself, I waited three hours in line at Walmart to do something that I could have done at home. To say the least, that was frustrating. How many of us, or how many of you out there like waiting? I can answer that for you. None of us like waiting. And I think it all boils down to this. We're a microwaving, FedExing, Amazon priming, fast food eating, high-speed internet society. We don't like waiting for anyone or anything. Amen? Today we're actually going to talk about someone who knew all about waiting. But before I get into that, I want to ask you a question. If I would ask you to make a list of important things or events that happened uh, in the Christmas story in the Bible, uh, you would probably say things like an angel coming to a virgin, of course, the census that led a young couple to Bethlehem. Definitely you would say uh, the birth in a manger and a visit from some shepherds and some wise men. But if I ask you to talk about people involved, you'd probably say, well, definitely Joseph and Mary. They were pretty important. Jesus was very important. The innkeeper, the shepherds in the field, the wise men. And, of course, that nine-year-old kid who wanted that Red Ryder carbon action 200-shot range model air rifle BB gun. Just don't shoot your eye out. Amen? But what if I told you after all of that, before Joseph and Mary and Jesus left Bethlehem, there was another part to this Christmas story that very seldom gets any attention, very seldom gets talked about. It's not in the movies, it's not in the storybooks, it's not put on any Christmas cards, but it's in the Bible. It's actually about a man by the name of Simeon. Probably, if you were honest, many of you have never even heard of Simeon. Simeon doesn't appear in any nativity scene, yet he precedes the wise men. He comes... A lot earlier than they did, 
But when it comes to Simeon, even sheep and cows get a higher billing in the Christmas story than Simeon. But I have to be honest, I love the story about Simeon because I really think it captures the spirit of Christmas because he was in tune with God when no one else was. Think about it. The most important person to have ever been born, of course, was Jesus Christ. But when Jesus Christ came to this world and was born, very few people were prepared for him. Uh, Caesar in Rome wasn't prepared for him. Herod the Great wasn't prepared for him. It was like Jesus didn't even show up on anybody's radar screen at all. There was only one person who was anxiously awaiting Jesus to come, and that's Simeon. That's this guy we're going to be talking about today in our message. I want to begin by talking uh, about the second chapter of Luke. It's actually Luke's biography of Jesus. And it takes place after the census, after the birth, after the shepherds. But I will say this, not immediately after. Look what it says in verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Let me stop right here for a minute because some of you I know are already thinking, wait a minute, I know why nobody talks about this. I know why they don't put it on Christmas cards because it's boring. Yes, it is boring. I have to admit, a lot of times when I've read these scriptures, I just pass quickly through them. But when you stop and realize there's some real meaning, powerful meaning in these words, we just don't understand it because their culture is a lot different than our culture. What's happening here is they're actually describing three different aspects of the Old Testament laws that are recorded in Leviticus 12 that Mary and Joseph are following to a T. Let me break it down for you so you'll understand a little bit better. Jewish custom and tradition stated that eight days after a baby boy was born, he was to be circumcised. He was to be given a name. He was given the name Jesus, which is what the angel told them to name him. That covers verse 21. Then the second thing is, after a woman gave birth, she was considered ceremonially unclean and couldn't go to the temple for the purification ceremony for 40 days after the birth of a son. That's verse 22. So what I'm saying is between verses 21 and 22, there's about a month's worth of time that lapses. And the third thing is, the law also required a mother and father to present their firstborn son to the Lord to be redeemed by the offering of a sacrifice. That's verse 23, so it covers all three of those verses. But it's kind of like what we do when we de dedicate our children to the Lord. We give them back to the Lord. We promise to raise them in a godly home with godly values. But back then, the normal offering that parents would bring into the temple was a lamb, also along with pigeons or doves. But if you were deemed to be really, really poor, like in poverty, the, the law in Leviticus okayed you to be able to bring just a, a couple of birds, a couple of doves. So the Scripture tells us that Mary and Joseph brought two birds. That also tells us that they were extremely poor. They were the poorest of the poor. Which when I think about this, I think that is so ironic. Think about this. You have the Lamb of God as a baby who will one day be sacrificed for the sins of the entire world. And him and his family are so poor, they couldn't even provide a lamb for, for God. I think that just seems crazy on the outside. 
But all three of these things are happening in these verses. Let me read in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. We don't know much about this guy Simeon except what I just said in that verse. He was a good man. He was a godly man and he was a righteous man. When I think of Simeon, according to what description I get, I can see him as this old man with a white beard. The, uh, the Jewish men back then, most of them had these big, long, white beards, and the Levitical law uh, prohibited them from trimming their beards or cutting the corners off. So I'm just imagining. This is Christmas time, and you've got this guy with a big, white beard. Who do you think of? I know your mind goes to Santa, right? The Scriptures don't give us an outward description of Simeon, but it does give us an inward description of Simeon. Because that's what God's more concerned with than anything else. It's your inward life. It's not your outward looks. That's why the prophet, if you remember, Samuel, he said this, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. According to God, that's what God's concerned with. He's not concerned with your age. He's not concerned with your ability. He's concerned with your availability. And as long as you have breath in your lungs, I'll say this, God wants to use you. And God will use you. It also said that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Kind of a strange sounding phrase that we kind of breeze right through. But think how we often talk about consoling someone in their time of grief. That's what this consolation is talking about. Simeon was actually waiting for the day when Israel would be consoled or would be comforted. He was waiting for the Messiah to come. He was waiting for Jesus to come to bring the comfort and the peace that this world needed. Look what it says in verse 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's kind of a strange statement there, the Lord's Christ. You know, so many times people uh, use the phrase Jesus Christ as if Christ is his last name. It's not his last name. It's a title. It really means the anointed one. It's like they're saying Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah. So sometime along the way in Simeon's life, the Holy Spirit had impressed upon him that he's not going to die. He's not going to leave this earth until he sees the Messiah or the Savior that God has promised, this Lord's Christ. Let me pick it up, verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, he, meaning Simeon, went into the temple courts. When the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So when the baby Jesus was brought into this temple 40 days after he has been born. The Holy Spirit impresses upon Simeon's heart to know this is the one. This is the one you've been waiting for. This is the one that all humanity has been waiting for. Yeah, they didn't have halos. Mary and Joseph and Jesus didn't stand out and have halos. They looked like any other normal family. But Simeon, he walked with God. He was in communion with God. God revealed to him that, yes, this was the baby uh, that he was waiting for. This is the Messiah. Simeon knew it as soon as he saw it. And he knew that this was part of God's plan that goes all the way back to creation. 
If you were here last week, I talked about how the real Christmas story began in Genesis. goes all the way back to the beginning where we were all created to have a relationship with God. But then something happened. You know what happened? Sin happened. The fall in the garden happened. Adam and Eve uh, rebelled and sinned against God. And their sin not only separated them from a relationship with God, but separated all humanity from God. God didn't give up on you and me. Throughout history, throughout the Old Testament, God sent godly leaders. He sent judges and prophets to get His people back on track. The only problem is that they fell into this repeated cycle of rebellion, breaking God's heart over and over and over again. And after God's heart being broken for so many years, all of a sudden, God goes silent. He didn't go silent for a couple of days, a couple of months, even a couple of years. He goes silent for 400 years. This is the time frame between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. For 400 years, God is silent. No prophets appeared, no words from God, no miracles from God, nothing. So with that silence in mind, imagine Simeon. Imagine where he's at in his expectations. Every day, Simeon is going to the temple, watching and waiting for the Messiah to come. I would imagine he's thinking, how in the world am I even going to know him? How am I going to know what to look for? Do I look for a baby? Do I look for a teenager? Do I look for a young man? Do I look for an old man? He didn't know. He didn't know uh, the one that would be coming. He didn't know. So what he do? He didn't give up either. He kept looking. He kept watching. He kept waiting. And he kept believing that Jesus was going to show up. Let me just say this real quick. If you've got whatever situation going on in your life, if you'll just keep watching, you'll keep looking, you'll keep waiting, and you'll keep believing that Jesus is going to show up, he's going to show up. Well, this morning, I'm thinking about what Simeon must have thought. As he looked around, Lord, could that be the one? Wow, that could be the one. Maybe that's the one. Until one day this poor couple, Mary and Joseph, walk in with their baby Jesus and the Holy Spirit, because he's walking close to the Holy Spirit, impresses upon his heart, now that's the one. That's the one that I've been talking about. And I can imagine Simeon, he kind of moves his way toward Mary and Joseph. I can just imagine him kind of clearing his throat, you know, just, <clears throat> uh, excuse me, I know this is going to sound weird, sound strange, but can I hold your baby for a moment? Scripture tells us that Simeon took that child in his arms while the Holy Spirit was confirming in his heart that what he was actually holding was God's intervention sent to save the entire world from their sins. Think about that moment. Simeon was holding God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, God wrapped up in human form. As he's holding this baby in his arms, I can imagine him lifting him up toward heaven. He says these incredible words. In verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. You just want me to say in... You just want me to say in verse 29? Yeah. 
In verse 29, he says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Notice what Simeon says about this baby. Holding him up, he says, I now can die in peace because my eyes have seen your salvation. You know, sometimes when people are about to die from some illness, they're on their deathbed, a lot of them hold on until their family are all there gathered around their bed. I've seen this happen personally. Well, this is kind of what's going on with Simeon, I believe. Simeon says to God, now that I have seen the Messiah, I can now die. I can now go in peace. Think about Simeon. He lived his life waiting to see the promised Messiah come. And at his age, he's not going to see the many miracles that Jesus is going to perform. Where Jesus walked on the water, where Jesus healed the blind man, where Jesus healed the leper, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He's not going to see the crucifixion. He's not going to see the resurrection. But really, all of that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that he won't see the end because he saw the beginning. And by seeing the beginning and having such confidence and a walk with God, he says, I can now die in peace. He can say, now that I've seen Jesus, everything is going to be okay. And did you notice that Simeon calls this baby God's salvation? He says, my own eyes have seen your salvation. What's that tell us? It tells us that salvation is not something you do. So many people make salvation something you do. It's not something you do. It's someone you know. Salvation is a person, and that person is Jesus. Jesus never once said, my example in life is the way, the truth, and the life. No, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus never said, follow my teachings. No, he said, follow me. He personally is God's salvation. Peter later tells us this, There is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved except for the name of Jesus Christ. So think about this situation. This little baby, God wrapped up in human flesh, is God's gift to you and me. My big question is, have you received that gift, that free gift from God? And have you unwrapped that gift for your life? Well, Simeon also describes Jesus as a light. Not just any light. He says he is the light, the light of the world. You could say that Jesus was kind of God's flashlight to get people out of their darkness and into his light. I read an article years ago about a diver, scuba diver, that was diving off the coast of Hawaii. His name was Ron Tubbs, and one day when he was diving, his diving line broke and the current from the sea drug him out to sea, miles, miles out to sea, where he was lost. Nightfall come, and uh, the Coast Guard were out there searching for him. And luckily, Tubbs had a little flashlight, and he shined it up into the sky. And by some miracles, like finding a needle in a haystack, some miracle, the Coast Guard saw that light, rescued him. But they later said if he hadn't had that light, he would have died in the darkness. My point to that story is the only flashlight that God's going to recognize is the light of His Son, is the light of Jesus Christ. And I hope He's shining in your heart bright today. I hope He's shining in your heart, and if He's not, He can, because He's the light of your salvation. He's the light of my salvation. Simeon wasn't quite through yet, though. He has one more thing to say, and he directs it uh, toward Mary. Listen to what it says in verse 33. 
the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Think about this. Simeon blessed them both, and then he personally says to Mary, this child is going to be destined for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign that's going to be spoken against. Another version or translation of this same verse, listen to what it says. This child will be rejected by many and will be their undoing, but he will be the greatest joy to others. Imagine for a moment you bringing your child into the temple to be dedicated. The priest takes him in his arms, and all of a sudden the priest holds him up and says, this baby is going to be the most hated, yet the most loved baby that's ever lived. You're probably going to say, hey, uh, let's reschedule this dedication. Give me my baby back, right? But think about Jesus. He's described in ways you wouldn't expect him to be described. He's the great divider of men, it says. He says he's going to call, cause many to fall. He's going to cause many to rise. And many are going to speak against him. And it says in speaking against him, it's going to reveal the thoughts and intents of their hearts. That's exactly what Simeon is saying to Mary. He says they're going to hate your son, Jesus. They're going to hate him. They're going to lie about him. They're going to spread rumors about you and Joseph. They're going to smear his name with malicious lies. And he's saying, Mary, you're going to have to stand by helplessly and watch it happen. Down the road, this all came to pass. And don't you find it true today that Jesus still is the most hated and the most loved person of all time? Just mention the name of Jesus in public. Watch their reaction. For those that know him and love him, they're going to be comforted by that name. But for others, it's going to bring a whole lot of anger and a whole lot of resentment. Because I guess you could say the paradox of the whole thing, he was loved and he was hated. I want to close and look back at verse 35 again. Because it's really the first hint of the cross that is given to Mary and Joseph. Uh, Simeon says, and a sword shall pierce your own soul too. We know exactly what that sword is that's going to uh, pierce Mary's soul. It's one that no mother should ever have to face. It's the loss of their child, the death of their child. I believe it's actually a prediction in this case of the day when Mary's going to stand at the foot of that cross and she's going to look up and she's going to see her son bleeding and dying on that cross. And it's going to be like a dagger that pierces her soul, pierces her heart. Mary's not mentioned again until the scene at the cross. There she was at the cross, the foot of the cross with her son until he died. I believe the shadow of the cross fell upon that baby from the beginning. I said last week you couldn't have a manger without the cross. And if you want to see the cross clearly, you have to see the manger clearly. You can't have one without the other. Somebody once said this, Christmas is God coming down the stairs of heaven with a baby in his arms. It could be that some of you are like Simeon today. You've been waiting a long time for that consolation. You've been waiting a long time for salvation. And maybe right now you're at a place in your life where everything seems like it's coming up short, falling short, maybe falling apart, where nothing that you've tried is satisfying. Maybe you're still living with your past. Maybe you're burdened down with the sins of your past. Let me tell you, today that can all change because salvation has come. God's consolation has come. His name is Jesus Christ. 
Simeon had eagerly waited for the first coming of Christ. But the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is coming back a second time. And that we as followers of Christ, believers in Christ, we should be eagerly awaiting that second coming. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for Him. My question today for everyone out there, are you eagerly waiting for the return of Christ? You know, I think this is a true test of where you are spiritually. You know, if you're right with God, you're going to be looking forward to that second coming. But if you're not right with God, and you're not living for God, you're going to dread hearing about the second coming of Christ. But let me tell you, He's coming. Whether we're ready or not, He's coming back. The first time Jesus came in a manger, the second time He's coming in all of His glory. The first time He was surrounded by shepherds and animals, the next time He comes, He's going to be accompanied by the saints and the angels. The first time there was no room for Him in the inn. The second time, the doors of heaven are going to be wide open. The first time He came as a Lamb of God who would die for the sins of the world. The next time He returns, He's coming as the ferocious lion of the tribe of Judah. People, Jesus is coming back. And like Simeon, we should be living in anticipation of that day. We ought to be excited about that day. The Messiah is coming again. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet Him? Simeon had the privilege of holding hope in his arms. Hope has a name, and that name is Jesus. Simeon held on to that hope. The great thing is, good news is, you and I can hold on to that exact same hope today. It's Christmas time. My question is to you, do you know Him? He's the Savior of the world. Do you know Him? He came for you and me. Do you know Him? When I think of Simeon, he had an excitement in his heart to see Jesus. He lived every day in anticipation that Jesus was going to show up. He kept looking, he kept watching, he kept waiting, and he kept believing. So if you don't know this Jesus I'm talking about today on a personal level, this morning I want to give you an opportunity to turn your heart toward Him. Don't wait another day, don't wait another hour, don't wait another minute or another second. If you don't know Him, turn your heart to Him today. Could you bow your hearts right where you're at today? And if you don't know the Lord and you're willing to give Him your life and receive His awesome forgiveness for your sin, if you're willing to do that, it's simple because He's already done the work for us. He's done the heavy lifting. All we have to do is receive the gift of His salvation. If you're willing to do that, I just want you to uh, repeat this prayer at home right now. Um, Pray this with me. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to cleanse me. I'm willing to turn from my sin and turn to you. I believe Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead. I place my trust in him. I depend upon him. And help me to follow him in Jesus' name. Father God, I pray you would help us all to have that same kind of longing for you that Simeon had. Help us to live for you each and every day. 
Help us to eagerly look forward to your return. Help us to keep looking, to keep watching and waiting and believing that you are coming. We give you praise, glory, and honor. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful week. See you next week.